Ah, what a wonderful moment to reflect, to pause, to remember. Because what we remember is a life-altering, life-changing moment in the life of every Christian. That we went from darkness to light, from lost to found, to being part of the family of God himself. What a wonderful privilege. And to be called into ministry, to be called to to be God's representatives here on the earth as we live our lives daily and we are ministering for him. And, and uh, the, uh, Luke, uh, Paul's friend, uh, this guy Luke, the physician, who traveled with Paul on, on his missionary journeys and, and uh, who wrote two of our New Testament books. Actually, word for word, there's more text in the New Testament written by Luke than any other author. Luke was a a magnificent historian. He was a sensitive man of God. And he he had a concern. And so he wrote these two two documents to a man named Theophilus. Theophilus means lover of God. So any of us who love God can read Luke's writings and say, this is not just for a man, but God inspired Luke to write these two documents for the church forever. And uh, the reason he wrote these is to make sure we understand that Jesus equips us to continue the work that Jesus began. Jesus said, I came to launch a revolution. I came to change the world one person at a time. And I began that work while I was here on the earth. And then I left. But before I left, I made sure that my work would go on. But my work would go on Because I'm still here. I'm here in the presence of my followers. You and me, we have been called by God to carry on his ministry. And as you look at the bulletin, you see just how busy and involved we are in that work. Uh, We have right now, we're worshiping God. We're serving him by by worshiping. We're having communion. Uh, Sherry is over there with the kids and George with the uh, youth and Elizabeth with the youth. And, and uh, uh, after we're going to have this concert, and by the way, uh, Chris is entering one of the most difficult mission fields that exists. Jeanette and I had the privilege, I guess you would call it, of, of, of being friends with uh, Jerome and Lucia Hines, who were primo uh, performers, singers uh, at the Metropolitan Opera in New York City. We're having dinner with Jerry and, and, and Lucia one night, and we're talking about their ministry in that very difficult world. And, and, and Jerry was sharing some stories about how, how uh, it's almost impenetrable to get people to consider anything but themselves and, and to go. And, and this is the world that Chris is preparing to enter, the world of the arts. If you've read any of Tim Keller's work over the past couple of decades where in New York City he has established a church for anybody, but he's had a particularly uh, penetrating ministry with people in the arts. And Chris is preparing himself not to be an outsider coming in, but to live in that world and to be God's representative there. And so uh, uh, this, this, uh, Chris grew up here. He 
remember the little kid playing the fiddle, and now he's playing the violin like a concert master. It's just beautiful to see it. So do stay for the concert following, and, and, uh, and that's, that is ministry, and that's what God has called us to. And we heard about, uh, we heard about Kairos. Uh, f- from and, 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 and Kairos outside, ministering to the wives and the families of those who are in prison. And all the things that are going on, God said, this is my work. Jesus began doing it while he was on the earth. But Luke wants us to understand that this work is still going on daily. Luke wrote two letters contained in our New Testament to help us understand and be confident about our life's mission as individuals, and about the mission of this church, we are continuing the work of Jesus Christ himself. Is there a higher calling? Is there a greater privilege? And when I say we, I'm not just talking about those of us who stand up here in front of you. Every single Christian is called to ministry. The New Testament makes that very clear. And in his first book, he introduced both of these letters that he wrote. In his first letter, here's what he said as he introduced these two scrolls, these two letters that he sent to Theophilus and to the church forever. He said, it seemed good to me having followed all things diligently, having researched everything closely, Luke said, to write an orderly account for you, most Theophilus, about Jesus. So, and listen to this so that you may have certainty concerning the things which you have been taught. As we go out to be Jesus' witnesses, Luke said it's important, it's essential that you believe what you're presenting, that it has gripped your own life. So I'm writing these documents to give you evidence. The first one, he said, is, 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 is to, to tell you about Jesus' ministry, and the second one is to tell you how you are to, to continue Jesus' ministry. So as we go to Luke chapter 1, that's our passage this morning, Luke 1, 1 to 5. We're going to be spending the next few weeks in this, these early chapters of Luke, uh, uh, pardon me, of Acts, so that we can get a sense of what are we doing? Who are we? What are we all about as individuals and as a congregation? And so Luke began in chapters 1 and 2, uh, verses 1 and 2, pardon me, I'm a little getting ahead of myself here. Calm down, Sid. It's all right. I get excited about this stuff. So, uh, and my mouth gets ahead of my brain. And so, uh, anyway, Luke wrote his gospel, his first book, for a particular reason. And here's how he introduced his first book in his second book. This is Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. He said, in my former writing, Theophilus, my former writing, which was my gospel, I wrote about the things that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So Luke says, now I've laid a foundation, Theophilus. I'm sending you this book. We call it the book of Acts. But I already sent you a previous book to lay the foundation about all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Leading us to conclude that this book is about all that Jesus is continuing to do and teach. That was what Jesus began to do. And now I'm writing you what 
Jesus is continuing to do through us, through his followers, through his church. And just as a summary of, of, we can't go through the whole gospel of Luke, but we can look at chapter 19, verse 10, which is a summarizing statement of Luke's gospel. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. He just invited a man named Zacchaeus. Luke tells us Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector. He was one of the chief tax collectors. And he has a saying, he was very rich, which says he was very crooked. He was a scoundrel. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus, I'm going to have dinner with you tonight. And the Jews said, how dare he go into the house of a sinner? And Jesus said, he is who I came for. The Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. That is Jesus' mission, to change the world one person at a time. To change no matter how vile, no matter how repugnant, no matter how sinful, no matter what has happened in their life. Jesus said, I love you, and I want to give you a new chance on life. I will forgive your sins and give you a new life. That, Jesus said, is what I am all about. And therefore, my followers, that is what you should be all about. Whatever else drives you, whatever else is going on in your life, whatever else is your passion, nothing should override the fact that you, as a Christian human being, are God's witness. We're going to see that next week in Acts chapter 1. But he said, I, my gospel was to help you understand what Jesus began to do so you can understand what you are to continue to do. And then Luke wrote Acts, his second letter, to assure us that Jesus is continuing his work through his disciples, that the work of Christ did not stop when he went, ascended to heaven. It began in a new way. It began in a, in a marvelous way by including us. And Luke wants to convince us, first of all, that Jesus is still alive. I mean, that's our message. We don't serve a dead God. We don't serve a dead Savior. We don't serve a dead uh, uh, person. He is alive. He is alive. So he said, uh, he, after, after giving us this broad thing in, in verses 1 and 2, to, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do in my first gospel, uh, from the day he began his ministry until the day he was taken up. So that, verses 1 and 2 says I, that it's about his whole ministry. Luke says, now I'm going to turn the lens a little bit. I'm going to zero in a little bit. I'm going to go from Jesus' whole ministry to a particular time in Jesus' ministry. Verse 3 says, after his suffering, after his crucifixion, crucifixion Jesus presented himself alive to the apostles. And gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So after his crucifixion, he shows up. Yeah, you got to be kidding. No. That's the heart and soul of the Christian message. I serve a risen Savior because he lives. I can face tomorrow. How many hymns, Tom, have been written about the resurrection and the life of Jesus Christ? 
And so Luke says the first thing you have to understand is after his suffering, he presented himself to the apostles and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Matthew devotes 21 verses to Jesus' post-resurrection experience with his disciples. Mark, only eight, but most scholars believe that the end of Mark was lost, so he may have had more, but we don't know that. Luke has 53 verses in his gospel and 11 verses in the book of Acts about Jesus' resurrection life. John has 56 verses, chapters 20 and 21. So, so the, the gospels give us a, a, a good representation of the fact that if you are going to believe anything in the Bible, you have to believe that Jesus, after his passion, after his crucifixion, was alive. That message is what we must go out and proclaim to people. We serve a risen Savior. And that risen Savior wants to bring about a revolution in your life. I have to believe that for me. And as I believe that for me, and as, as the power of the Holy Spirit is working to, to form, reform, reshape my life, and I'm enthused about what God is doing in my life, I can look at people who are struggling in their life and say, hey, buddy, I got some help for you. I got something that actually works. Yeah, Bud Light ain't going to do it. But Jesus can, because he's alive. And if you don't believe that, this whole calling we have to ministry will fall flat. And not only to believe it, but to live it. So Luke, first of all, wanted us to understand that Jesus is alive. And secondly, he wanted us to understand that Jesus commands us to continue what he began to do and teach. So verses 4, uh, four and 5, he takes the, the, the lens again. Now, verse 1 and 2 he gave us this broad scope for the beginning of Jesus' ministry from the time he began to the time he was taken up to heaven. He said, now let me give you a closer shot. This is what happened after his, res after his crucifixion. He was seen alive. He ministered for 40 days with many convincing proofs. And then in verses 4 and 5, he turns the lens again. He says, now we're going to zero in a little more. Verse 4 says, on one occasion after his resurrection... While he was eating with them, he gave them this command. And here's the command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Because John baptized with water, which was a good thing. But in a few days, you will be baptized with God's holy Spirit. And so we say, well, uh, this on one occasion. That's kind of a small blurb about that important occasion. But if we go back to Luke 24, Luke explained in his gospel that occasion. And I just want to, I've edited this somewhat, but, but I'm just reading an edited version. And just took some things out. Luke 24 tells the story of that occasion while he was eating with them and he gave them his command. It says, uh, we have the resurrection. The women went to the tomb. They 
saw that it was empty. Two men said, why are you looking for the dead among the living? He is alive. He's not here. They ran back and told the apostles, and they said, you've got to be joking. And they weren't joking, but they didn't believe him. And then Luke goes to the road to Emmaus, the two men walking along, and Jesus appeared with them and talked to them, and they didn't recognize him at first, but eventually they did. And they, they saw this Jesus who we saw crucified just a couple of days. He's alive? We were just talking with him. This is amazing. They were so excited. Now we pick up Luke, Luke's story. Jesus... Uh, he went back to the 11 and told them, Jesus is alive, these two guys that had met Jesus. So then, as they're talking, Jesus himself stood among them. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Jesus said to them, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. It's really me. <laughs> look. Touch me and see. A ghost, a spirit does not have flesh and bones. But you can see that I have flesh and bones. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, got anything to eat? <laughs> Who but Jesus? Hey, is it lunchtime? Got anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it in their presence. Ghosts don't eat. I am a resurrected body with flesh and bones. And then he said to them, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the scriptures. And it is written that the Messiah will suffer and rise again from dead on the third day. Now, that's already happened. And if you don't believe it, touch me again. Look again. I'm here. Listen to me eat. I'm alive after my crucifixion. And then he moved to the future. He said, it is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in the Messiah's name to all nations. But guess what? I ain't going to be here. <laughs> you are. So how is the story of the Messiah who was crucified to pay for the sins of the world and then resurrected and is alive, how is that message going to be proclaimed? Jesus said, by you. I'm pulling you in. <laughs> I'm including you in this most marvelous, the work that I began to do that Luke explained in the gospel. Luke says, now we are to continue it. This preaching in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Luke rephrased that statement. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power on high. That's what Jesus said in the Gospels. Luke rephrased Jesus' words, do not leave Jerusalem 
But wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Luke wanted us to be convinced as Jesus' followers that the work Jesus began was to seek and to save the lost. He wanted to convince us that we have confidence so that we would have confidence in the message that Jesus is alive. He appeared over a period of 40 days and taught the disciples. And he wants us to be convinced that Jesus has now commissioned us to be his witnesses in the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Luke wants to convince us also that Jesus empowers us to succeed. That's why he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And next week we'll see that event, that baptizing in the Holy Spirit. And we'll look at that more carefully. But three facts about this coming baptism, this presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. Jesus said to his disciples, I, I, I spoke to you before about this coming. I want you to wait in Jerusalem until he comes. Because among all of the things he's going to do, there are three that are particularly crucial to you. First, the Holy Spirit teaches us. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. Jesus said in verse John 14, All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So dwelling inside every Christian is this Holy Spirit teacher. This one who reveals God's mysteries to us. I have much more to say to you, John 16. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And then from Acts 1-8, we see not only does the Holy Spirit teach us, the Holy Spirit empowers us. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we're going to unpack that next week. It's an incredibly important passage. And then the Holy Spirit prays for us. He sends us out. He teaches us. He empowers us. But he knows we're human. He knows our frailty. And so Paul tells us in Romans 8, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And listen to this. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Holy Spirit right now is praying for us, interceding for us, encouraging us, teaching us, empowering us. Why is he doing all that? Because Jesus said, I'm going to change the world through you. You will continue my work, 
And I will send my Holy Spirit to empower you, to teach you, to pray for you. So that you will be successful. You will be effective. But we can't do it without the Holy Spirit. If our team goes out to the prison next week and the Holy Spirit isn't with them, they may as well stay home. Every Sunday morning I say, Lord, I can't do what you're asking me to do. You haven't given me, Sid Buzzle, the power to proclaim your truth. I pray that your Holy Spirit will teach me and empower me and pray for me because that's the only way anything's going to happen here. So Luke tells us that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And he tells us that when he ascended to heaven, he commanded us that we would be uh, the ones who would carry on his work until he returns. And then he said, Jesus equips and empowers us to succeed by giving us the Holy Spirit to guide us. Could I ask you to pray every day for the presence, awareness, your awareness of the presence of God's Holy Spirit in your life? Franny and I were here yesterday working, but we weren't alone. There were three beautiful women in here praying for our church. Thank you, dear sisters. And they're here often praying. You don't have to come here. They do. They do two things. They pray, and they remind me that I don't pray enough. <laughs> we want great things for this church. God wants great things for this church. But it's not going to happen without our prayers for the Holy Spirit to empower us to do his work. Father, hear our prayers. I confess I pray for all kinds of things, and a lot of stuff I want. And I'm not sure you want them for me. But one thing I can pray with confidence is that you want me to be filled to the overflowing with your Holy Spirit. That you want me to be your witness in the world. That you want this church to thrive, not just so we can have a big church or anything like that, but so that we can see that we're having an impact in our community, our own Jerusalem. As we send people like Chris out to the, where he's going, and as we send our Kairos guys out and our Kairos um, outside women to help uh, folks and, and all these things that we do, and Sherry and George right now over there working with those kids. Father, we are so blessed to know that we are carrying on your work in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.